one I mean it was it was it was really distracting me because I don't know if you noticed this, but you called Wemben Yama Wemby the Yama man. Um it was just like a slip up that happened. Uh yeah. I, actually I'm gonna insert that into this into the video right now. Uh so uh, our audience I did not call that. him that. I, I challenge your I challenge your hearing of what I said. I'm going to I'm throwing the it. red flag on the field <laughs> right now. Throwing the red flag. There's no way I said it. I there's no way. This is Hot Hand Theory. This is a podcast where we talk about the NBA with a focus on the New York Knicks and break things down from an analytical perspective. I'm your co-host, XJ. He is my brilliant co-host, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, in the interest of transparency with our audience, we are recording this right after the Clippers game. Um, So some of our reactions may be coded by what we just saw in that game, um, but... Yeah, how are you doing otherwise before we jump into to kind of recapping and breaking things down? Really good. Feeling naturally optimistic. I mean, that was that was that was as close to the the best of the Knicks that we've looked all season long. That the Knicks have looked all season long. Like in terms of like, you know, their eight game winning streak last season. If you if you think about the vibes and how they looked they kind of combined the 2021 Knicks defensively with the offensive onslaught of the 2023 Knicks, which is kind of what you're hoping for from the ceiling of this team. Because, I mean, last year they were a great offense in the regular season, 19th best defense. Then they go into the playoffs and it kind of flips around and their defense kind of carries the way, but their offense can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I would argue that their offense tonight was as good as it could have looked in a in a progressive way. And what I mean by that is they scored 111 points, but they didn't do it because I mean Mitchell Robinson did dominate the offensive glass, but I don't think they did it because of that if that makes sense. I, I liked a lot of the ball movement, especially from that bench unit um, and then they also only allowed 97 points, which is super impressive in today's NBA against a, a great Clippers team that had just been, destroying opponents so this was a very very encouraging victory in my opinion i totally agree with you and i don't know it's just it's so interesting interesting to me that i mean the first half was pretty brutal from an offensive standpoint i think that they looked much of how they looked for the rest of the season uh in the first half but in the second half it was such a turnaround and i just think that the whole time this season i've been waiting for them to just make shots (laughs) Um, because everything else has been pretty good It's anywhere from pretty good to excellent. Um, in terms of the rebounding, it's just been incredible. They've been the best rebounding team in the NBA by far. And to me, that's really the, been the linchpin of the advancement of their defense or the improvement of their, of their defense since last year. Um, just ending possessions after the team has taken a shot. And it's funny, it's like putting it all together. It's like, we're getting offensive rebounds. We're continuing our possessions. And then we're ending and stopping the opponent's possessions after one shot. It's like, if you do that, you can be a pretty shitty shooting team and still win games. But if you do that and you shoot relatively well, you are going to be like a 55 win team or at least play at that kind of pace. um, I mean, people, people associate rebounding, especially offensive rebounding with last year's Knicks correctly. That was like a huge part of their good offense. Mm Mm-hmm. 
last year, the Knicks got 32% of offensive rebounds available and 72% of defensive rebounds available. Mm-hmm. This year, they're getting 34% of offensive rebounds available. So their offensive rebounding has actually gotten better despite the scouting report. And then here's the crazy one, to your point. They're getting 79% of defensive rebounds yeah, available. That's incredible. So that's, that's gone up 7%. And to your point, that's a part of defense. Like that, that, that's a finishing the possession matters as as we're pro- as the Knicks are proving on the other side of the court, you know, teams can get as many stops as they want against us, but if Mitchell Robinson keeps creating new possessions, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and, and I think that that's such an underrated aspect of defense and people don't think about it as part of defense but i know for instance last year i would argue with people and part of the my argument about um you know the 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 should have been mvp uh nikola Jokic, when people would be like well you know the impact metrics really inflate his defense and you know he's not a good defensive player Okay, I mean, we could argue about how good a quote-unquote defensive player he is, but his impact on defense, a lot of his impact on the defensive end comes from his ability to gather in rebounds. And when he's on the court, the opponents are not getting extra chances. And we know how important it is for opponents to get extra chances, and we know what that does to a a team's offensive rating um, because it did it to our offensive rating as as Knicks fans. So, yeah, I think that that's just a really underrated part of defense is, is, is grabbing those boards and ending the possession. There was a there was a time last season when um, I've I've always been of the belief that how your team rebounds with you on the court is more important is more indicative of how good a rebounder you are yeah. than the individual rebounds you get totally um, because box outs and I mean it that rebounding is about more than just grabbing the individual rebound and I feel like we have the two guys who are on opposite ends of that spectrum in Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson like yeah everyone always talks about the 10 rebounds that Julius Randle averages but most of them are the most replaceable rebounds that can be you know absolutely and, like that's why, yeah. and that's why when Julius Randle it, whether he's on the court or off the court for four four point one seasons now the Knicks have pretty much rebounded exactly the same, whether he's playing or not. Um, yep. But Mitchell Robinson has always been the opposite. And there was a point last season where when Mitchell Robinson was on the court, the Knicks got the highest percentage of rebounds of anybody on the team. And when he was off the court, the Knicks got the lowest percentage of rebounds when he was off. When he, uh, and, that's, of him. and that's despite the his backup being an excellent rebounder in his own right yeah. right like that's incredible and i just think that's that's yeah it's such a great point i think that people forget that rebounding is important or or um the reason why um we look at teams or or, or players rebounding rates is because we want to know what they're adding to the team and i think that that's what what we look at as far as like impact so when i talk about impact metrics or when you talk about impact impact metrics the purpose of that is to try to understand causally what the players on the court are bringing to the game that other people, uh, another player, whether another average replacement player, um, couldn't bring. So if you're just getting the rebounds that are out there, let's say uncontested rebounds, a la Russell Westbrook's, um, a bunch of Russell Westbrook's, um, you know, triple-double seasons, 
it doesn't matter because if it wasn't Westbrook, it would have been campaign or whoever else was out there and they would have gotten the rebound. So it's irrelevant. You're not, it would have been, it would have been Steven Adams because Steven Steven Adams Adams, and the reason it would have been Steven Adams is because instead of just clearing his guys out and letting the ball drop at his feet, he would have just grabbed the ball. (laughs) That was like, that was like half of Russell Westbrook's rebounds with Steven Adams being like, okay, you can have them. So you can average a triple double. Totally. So yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for that reason, I, when I, when I want to, understand how good a rebounder someone is i I look at contested rebounds right contested rebound rates those are the things that matter more than just general like number of counting stat rebounds um but then also like how the team rebounds when the players on the court is the most important factor to me um that's the thing that i care about the most so i know we we did like a mini deep dive on rebounding but i just think it's really important i think it's a huge factor in why the knicks defense is playing so well and the other thing that we're seeing too is that the guys, the guards that we have now, the guards in the wings, guys like DiVincenzo, guys like Emmanuel Quickly, guys like Josh Hart, those are all really excellent rebounders. And the things, the ones that slip away from Mitch, those guys are gobbling up. And we saw in this Clippers game, I mean, obviously we're we're talking about a little bit about the Clippers game. DiVincenzo was flying in for some of those boards. If it was if DiVincenzo was on the court, those are Clippers rebounds. Those are super, super valuable rebounds. A guard getting rebounds that were that guard not on the court, the other team would have gotten it. Those are like extremely high value rebounds because it's difficult to do. And there aren't many guys on the perimeter who can do it like DiVincenzo. It's wild being able to juxtapose guys on the same team because quickly and DiVincenzo are so on one side of the spectrum that they'll grab rebounds. And then you'll see Brunson or Grimes on the court and they won't come close to similar rebounds. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that that that's where that matters. You know, it's like <laughs> you can it, see the difference. Yeah. It, it's rare to get to see that, you know, like like talking about baseball, for example, you know, like they can say that Derek Jeter is the worst fielding shortstop of all time, but like balls aren't like really exactly the same. And like you can say that, like, oh, I think that you know, Adam Everett would have gotten to this these balls that Derek Jeter didn't get to, but like you don't know. I mean, you do, but I guess what I'm saying is that from a fan experience, there's no way to like uh, visually place each shortstop in the same spot, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because one of the beautiful things about baseball is things are so different. Um, And that that's true in basketball too. But I do think that there is kind of a mirroring aspect in basketball and that, that allows you to be like, Oh, well, uh, DiVincenzo was just in that spot and he grabbed this rebound and now, now Brunson isn't able to, you know, jump over a defender and yada, yada um, to sort of close the loop on the defense. One other thing we should talk about is they forced 22 turnovers tonight. That's like incredible. Yeah. That's the least Tibbs thing ever. Like he hates game, but, but the Knicks aren't gambling either. Um, Or at least they're not gambling a lot relative to to the rest of the league. Um, I do, I do see a little bit more gambling. There was a play where quickly got caught. He went for a steal in the first half, and I think it made Tibbs really mad um, because it resulted it resulted in like a Paul George or Kawhi Leonard wide open three at the top of the key that he he mm-hmm. missed. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. But um, yeah, I, I just think that, and we can bring this over to the offense. I think one of the most valuable things about creating the turnovers, especially obviously the live ball ones, is the Knicks half court offense just hasn't been very good because they're not making shots. And if you're getting these transition opportunities, more and more of these transition opportunities that helps bolster your offense artificially. Um, Yeah. Is it, is it sustainable in the playoffs? 
um, because teams are more careful with the ball. The game moves slower. You don't want to completely hack me in offense based on turnovers, but it is good for your regular season ceiling to be creating these live ball turnovers. And I think I think it buys you time. Like I think it buys you time because I do think the Knicks are going to shoot better. I, I think I mean they, they kind of have to. Like I, I I mean we saw Brunson have his like eruption. We saw Randall have a little you know a bounce back. I don't think it was like the best Randall game ever, but it was a bounce back from what he's been doing since you know the beginning of the season. Um, and we've seen guys like Grimes hasn't gotten it going yet. DiVincenzo's like been up and down with the shooting. I. I just think we're going to see the Knicks shoot a lot better. I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most is that we're going to see some regression on the shooting. And I just feel like if you're getting out in transition, you're, you're grabbing these steals, it buys you time to still play well, to still score a lot of points. Um, as you're shooting, it's not going so well in the early goings. And I think that that's important for over the long haul of a season. It's like, do you have other ways you can generate offense and generate scoring opportunities even when you're not shooting well? Um, in the playoffs, you're going to have to figure out how to shoot well. And if you're not going to shoot well, you're going to get knocked out of the playoffs. Like that, 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 I think we saw that last year. And I think that's just the truth. I mean, you're going to get knocked out in the first or second round. But during the regular season, you can figure out other ways to score and like stay afloat. And I think that that's one of the best things that we saw about the team against the Clippers. And <clears throat> I don't know. I, I wonder what you think about this. My favorite thing was that to me, the whole win was generated based on the lineup of quickly DiVincenzo, Josh Hart, RJ Barrett, and Isaiah Hartenstein. I mean, that's a lineup that, you know, people like you and I have been wanting to see for a lot for, for like, since we knew this team was being assembled with DiVincenzo being signed. Um, the defensive potential of that lineup is tremendous. And I think in that lineup, you can go for some steals because you have really all excellent defenders behind you to kind of like recover um you know as rj has has continued to improve on that end this year so i i just love that lineup i love their ability to take some gambles because you know you can recover it allows steven tenzo to be flying around and do what he does best and those guys can play like really like sort of recklessly but like with a with a, a a controlled recklessness um that generates turnovers that generates like just a franticness from uh, a team like the Clippers that has like a Russell Westbrook, who's going to just, you know, try to try to force things to happen and, 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 and end up making some mistakes. So I just really love that lineup. I love that. It was basically that lineup that won the game for them and, 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 and pushed them out to this big lead that ended up being insurmountable. So yeah, I'm just curious what you thought about that, that lineup. Yeah, like I said earlier, it was very reminiscent of games we've seen so many times before. Um, of course, you never want to compare anybody to you know the the peak warriors, but there were there are times where this and it's always the same guys. It's very rarely the Knicks starting units. It always has quickly on the court, and when we since we acquired Josh Hart, it always has Josh Hart on the court, where it almost feels like like a snowball effect, like compounding. Like everything seems to go right for the Knicks. The crowd is gets super into it. The Knicks are flying around, the ball's hopping around, and it looks just so much different than the ISO-heavy ball that the starting lineup likes to play a lot. And it's so nice that R.J. Barrett gets to be a part of that because he, more than anyone, kind of has to hop between roles. You know, like he... He, he, he's in the starting lineup and most of his touches end up off the catch when off of penetration from Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, 
where he's attacking a closeout or he's resetting and calling for a screen from Mitchell Robinson. He's kind of playing this style of basketball. And then all of a sudden you get quickly running the show and you have Josh Hart in there and RJ's playing small forward next to more of a, it's so weird to say it because Josh Hart isn't even a better shooter than Julius Randle, but still there seems like there's more space for whatever reason. Josh Hart seems like a more functional spacer than Julius Randle. And all of a sudden more pistol actions getting run. RJ Barrett gets downhill more and he, you really see that he can play this style of basketball where the ball is moving around. He had one of the best touch passes I've seen in a long time today when um, I forget if it was DiVincenzo or Hart, but one of them kicked it out to him in the corner. No, no, it was quickly. Obviously it was quickly. It was quickly who penetrated and kicked it out to RJ in the corner and RJ, the pass was a little bit high and DiVincenzo was open above the break and RJ, it didn't even, he didn't even catch it. It just like touches fingertips and he, um, he made the swing to DiVincenzo above the break who drove and hit Hart in the corner and Hart hit a corner three. And it's just stuff like that, that like that is peak basketball right there where the ball is hopping and all the, all, all the, all the guys are moving around and yeah, it's just, it's just a special, it, the thing is, is it doesn't have to only be those guys. Like everybody can play that way, you know, like, and I, I'm not acting like you know, guys like quickly guys like Hart are entirely replaceable. Like anybody can do what they do, but you would like to see, you know, the, the things, the principles and the players that lead to this superior style of basketball kind of get more exposure rather than the Knicks lose 60% of the game by 10 points. But this bench unit has to just crush the opponent to make it seem like something different than it is. Like sometimes you wonder if, I don't want to turn this into a tips bashing session, but you wonder if he is aware of like why they won the game tonight, you know, like, cause yeah. if you look at the minutes distribution and you look at who closed the game, it, it kind of doesn't seem like he does. Well, let me ask you, cause you said, I mean, I, I, I largely agree with you, maybe even entirely. Well, I have to think more about it, but you said, you mentioned the word um, superior. You said it's a superior style of basketball. And, do you think it's inherently superior? Like, for instance, um, you know, the Knicks have been effective on offense when they're running heavy ISOs, when there's low ball movement. Um, it's less beautiful aesthetically, for sure. Um, but there have been times when it's been, like, tremendously effective. Of course, you know, you have Brunson attacking, you have Randall attacking. Those guys kind of taking turns, getting set up in different ways, going into their ISOs, um, getting to like the short mid range, uh, either getting offensive rebounds or those guys making difficult shots, shots that are, you know, they make with a relative high rate of success. You know, let's say like league average efficiency. Um, we've seen that result, obviously, in a top five offense last year. Uh, largely playing that way. And, you know, the times when those guys are out there, they play really well on offense. So do you feel like the style, the fluidity, the ball movement, the kind of the balls hopping around, guys are touching the ball and getting shots in the flow of the offense. Do you feel like that's like inherently superior? And if guys like with, you know, who are more talented, let's say guys like Randall and Brunson played that way, they'd be even better than they are currently. Or do you think like maybe those guys skill sets just aren't meant to play in that, in that style? That's a tough one. Um, I think that, it would raise the ceiling for them as players, but I definitely agree with the idea that um, 
you know, it also introduces floors that are, I don't want to say scary, but like it could make them worse and less effective and they could not figure it out. And then, but that kind of begs the question, well, how, how high is the ceiling of them playing at their best in the first place? You know, like, mm-hmm. and what, yeah. and that, I think that leads to an entire different discussion because like, you know, you see the team play like it does today and Jalen Brunson's two for 12 and has seven points. And I don't think Jalen played a very good game at all. Um, and I, I don't think many of the team's best moments came with the ball in his hands. I, I, I look, I, I trust him. You can just tell as a person, he's just, he's someone who wants this, who he's someone who's going to work. He's someone who's going to do the best that he can to be the best he can. Um, but I still do feel like there's sort of a crater between how the team's trying to play and how he plays at his best. Um, and that's worrying a bit because how do you, how do you marry those two principles? Like if what's best for the rest of the team, isn't what's best for your best player, how do you, how do you figure that out? That's a, that's a great question. And I think if you're, if you're Tibbs, um, you just try to accentuate your best players. I mean, I feel like that's what he's done. He's tried to really, um, put his players that are his best players in the best position to capitalize on their strengths. So that's been ISO heavy ball for Randall and Brunson. And that's been offensive rebounding and rebounding on both ends for Mitchell Robinson. But I think that that does kind of like push out everyone else. And then now you have this like smaller gap or time span of minutes that these other guys come on and 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 to me honestly that's part of some of the reason for the the hockey rotations the 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 kind of shifts where you know you have an entire second unit that comes in and it's almost because it's like okay well now you guys go out there with your entirely different style and if i have brunson out there with you guys or if i have randall out there with you guys it's gonna kink it up because those guys have to play in this way um but yeah i i i do think that it's a different it's a difficult question to ask and to me that's why at the end of the day this is not the team that i think we're going to see reach the actual peak the actual um limit that the, this team can reach i think we're going to see a guy like randall not be on the team in my opinion and it's been my concern for a while like i i mean i've talked about this in many different uh pods and and other other times you know, I, I think that the time to move Randall was has passed. Um, I think that you could have gotten like it, it's a difficult kind of square to to it's a difficult thing to square. But it's like when should you move him? When is he at the best value that you can get back for him at the same time not damaging your team too much and and still being able to reach um, the heights that you can? I think that time has passed, and I think that you know Randall is coming too close to being needing to be resigned, and so they're not going to kind of get the value back that they could have, especially, you know, depending on how this season goes for him, um, given the start that he's been off to. But yeah, I just think that it's a really difficult question. I don't think there's an easy answer, but the answer, the only answer I can think of is that you have to get the kind of talent that coincides with the the best way you can play basketball. And I don't think that we have that. I think Brunson can, can mesh in a little bit. I think that 
he can kind of figure it out. I think that the Randall's play style of of holding the ball and 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 surveying and 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 his instinct not being to just like swing and just keep it moving. I think that that is not going to be something that he's able to kind of shake. So that's where I'm at with it. You seem awfully sure that Julius Randall is going to eventually not be a Nick. Yeah. Can you expand on that? I feel, I feel less sure than I did um, <laughs> coming into the season. Um, and the reason I feel confident about it though, is that I just think that his, like, it's really what we've been talking about. His style, I don't think meshes either with a, whatever star would come in. I don't think that he's going to be the best compliment to it, to any like real true alpha star that, that we might get. Um, and B, I just feel like he, hmm, he, he just doesn't have the skill set to be a, a really high value off ball player. Um, and I think that that's what he'd have to be on any team that's going to win a championship. And if this team wants to win a championship, so I, I just don't see any way around it. I'm just not convinced that at this point, I'm just not convinced that this front office and this head coach sees a world without Randall. Like, I feel like they, they value him higher than Knicks fans do and definitely higher than they definitely do. But do you think he's going to be, do you think he's going to get re-signed? Yeah. So you think they're going to max out Randall? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think they're going to have to, I think he'll take what's seen as like a discount, but really it's like, Oh, well, nobody else was going to give him more like that would be really troubling to me. I I, honestly like that would be very, very concerning if that was the case. I, 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 I guess maybe I'm maybe I'm deluding myself because I just think it's so (laughs) I just think it's so so clearly not the right move for them. And they they managed to avoid the wrong move so many times over the like the past like two years. Um, there were so many opportunities for them to make what I would consider the wrong move, and they haven't. So it it's hard for me to imagine like something like that that feels like would be just an awful decision with regard to like the potential ceiling for this team. I think that if you sign Randall to anywhere near a max, whether it's not like a true max or not, um, you've completely hamstrung your team, and this team can't win a championship with Randall at a, at a contract that's taking up that much of the salary cap. Like I genuinely think, I, I don't know who you could bring in that would work well enough with Randall as he would have to be your like second best player um, or third best player. Like, you know, depending on what Brunt, I mean, Brunt is going to get maxed out. So I, I just, I just don't see any way for that to work with the, with the, um the second apron um coming. And I, I, I don't see any way that Julius could be making a near max and you win a championship. I feel like that's not possible in my opinion. Maybe that's extreme, but I don't think it's possible. I just think the only way that he's doesn't remain a Nick is if they can trade him directly for a star. Like, I don't think, right. I don't think that, they're willing to have that little buffer period where like Randall isn't a Nick and oh, but the guy's coming. Like, I think they're enjoying this period of high floor basketball. And then eventually it's just going to get to, okay, well we either lose him or we resign him and they'll resign him and worry and do what they've been doing for years and worry about the rest later. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think that makes sense. Um, because I, I think otherwise he would have traded him already if, if that wasn't the case. Do you think that he can be a part of a star trade? Because I feel like question 
that feels questionable to me. I feel like if a team is trading the Knicks a star, like a true star, I don't think that team's going to want Julius Randle back. But maybe they would. Maybe they would as a you know obviously as a part of a package. Um, but like to get Julius Randle back and be like, okay, we're going to get Randle back and then pay him. Um, on top of having this other, I mean, maybe that team would do something like um, the Drew Holiday thing where they get Randall back and then move him in a separate deal to get like a pick or two. Uh, maybe that's possible. Yeah, you're making the point for why he's just destined to be a Nick. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. Nobody, nobody else is going to want him. Yeah. So um, he's just going to remain a Nick. Like, <laughs> So essentially that the Knicks value him more than any other team to the extent that it would never make sense for them to trade him. Right. And then he's just going to ultimately reach his extension time or his free agency time. And eventually he'll take what, like I said, like it will be, it will be um, framed as, Oh, Julius just wanted to stay in New York and, He's not taking a max, you know, he's taking a team friendly deal and it'll just be, yeah, it'll just Wait, be you mean like his other extension? <laughs> right. I mean, his current extension that he's on. I mean, it's, I guess it seemed like that's people that thought he would shoot 40% from three, uh, you know, again, after, after that season. But um, to me, it didn't seem, it seemed like he was probably getting his maximum value for what he could confer over the next, like the, the four years of the contract. So yeah, you might the, be right. The, the, the greater point, though, that I think we're like, I just don't think you can win a championship with Julius Randle. Like, yeah, as a major, point as, as, well. a major <laughs> as a major contributor on your team. But I think that I he's, so that. In, he's so ingrained in this franchise that, like, that's it's just how things work. Like, I don't know. I just think there's more of a human element than you're giving credit to here, and I think that the Knicks are just ultimately going to be like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to pay him. Like he's not just going to like Julius Randle isn't just going to sign for way below what he thinks he expects elsewhere. Right. Like he, he's not just going to like spite the Knicks and be like, yeah, I'm going to go sign. in. I mean, whoever has money, I'm going to go sign in freaking new Orleans and go home. And or, that's terrible. <laughs> go home. Yeah. They, they, they wouldn't, yeah. you know what I mean though? Yeah. No, I'm going to sign with the Lakers after LeBron leaves, you know, like I maybe, maybe he'd go to LA. I think he'd go back to LA. Yeah. I yeah. That's actually, that. that's actually a good, that's a good alternate result. Like the Lakers trying to get, get LeBron 2.0, you know, Julius Randall. Yeah, of course. As, as he's he, known, <laughs> I mean, he's the he's he's more more skilled Draymond Green. Remember that conversation? Like, yeah, I was I wasn't a part of that conversation. Uh, there are two players that are nothing alike, like more than Randall and Draymond Green. But uh, yeah, but he can do everything Draymond Green can do. But Draymond Green can't do what Julius can do. So hmm, right. <laughs> You don't, um, you don't, you don't seem to be accepting this line of argument. I do not accept this line of argument <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, no, not at Draymond all. Draymond Green is probably going to go down as one of the most underrated and misunderstood basketball players, like ever. Like people, like, the most, yeah. Like people don't understand. People put him in the same conversation as Clay Thompson. That is like the most annoying thing in the world to me. I think. Yeah, they're not even. They're not even close. Like. 
<laughs> in terms of the, the value the, they confer yeah no i i totally correct agree. yeah so if, if you take draymond green off of the warriors at the start of the franchise and just replace him with like a league average power forward they don't win a single championship not one mm, and that's with i don't how know if i agree with that i don't know if i agree with that that that's that's a stretch to me i think curry wins a championship to be clear i'm i'm assuming they don't then get kevin durant like i'm just saying the yeah, yeah no i know what you're saying you're saying like yeah you're saying like curry without pre-durant era would never Correct. win a championship. Yeah, Draymond's I mean, just too important. Draymond's was, just too important. Draymond in like, yes, Draymond in like 2016, 2015, 2016 was unbelievable. Like we could have a whole pod just talking about his value uh, to that team and like his defensive just excellence and offensive lubrication for that team being like completely essential. Like I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I'm not assuming we switch Draymond Green out for like, you know, Jermichael Green, like I'm assuming somebody else pretty good was going to be there. And I, I mean, I feel like it's a different argument, but I think Curry, Curry's value is so immense uh, that I think somebody else in there that even is an approximation of Draymond Green could, you know, they could elevate to a championship level team. Did you just make up offensive lubrication? You're the first person <laughs> no. in the history of the world to ever say that, right? <laughs> I don't know. It just it came out of it came out of somewhere. I'm not sure which direction of my body. Yeah, I don't I don't <laughs> even know I don't even know what it means, but I'm on board. I'm just gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> yes, it, it quote me first though. Just 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 cite hot hand theory and XJ. Um we'll do the uh we'll do the little trademark symbol, you know, like yeah. TMXJ. Yeah. Anytime anybody uses it, offensive lubrication, or offensive we can just call it OL for short, you know, that should be a stat. That's our new metric. It's going to be offensive lubrication rating. And it's going to be comparing the, how much the player lubricates the offense relative to what Draymond D Draymond green did for the championship warriors. Um, yep. I love it. Um, we'll have to well, come up with like, like what is L U B E, you know, like I, I, I've got nothing <laughs> off the top of my head. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that's the new stat though. <laughs> I just imagine people in like 2027 20, being like, yeah, but he has a higher lube. Like Jones has a higher lube. Like, trust me, you know, he's dominant. Just look at his loop. Look at his EPM. Look at his lube. Look at his LeBron. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just slipped in there in the middle. <laughs> I think we have to. I think we have to do it now. Like it's on us to create a stat. I'm going to reach out to we're, we're going to reach out to a couple data guys and we'll make this happen. Yeah. Um, Lube but is uh, become a thing. lube is going to become a thing um, in a different way than it is already. Uh, let, let's let's switch gears and, and kind of talk about next week's games um, like we normally do. We preview the next week of games. Um, this time we only have three games to talk about uh, the Spurs, the Hornets and the Celtics. Um, I mean, you Jeff, you did it on our hot hand theory Twitter account. You posted like an excellent thread breaking down intriguing angles for each of those teams, the Clippers, Spurs and Hornets. Um, I mean, uh, this you did the Clippers, Spurs, and the Hornets, but yeah, yeah, but, I, but I didn't was, do the Celtics. I'm gonna right, do the Celtics, Celtics next Monday. It's gonna come out yeah. every Monday. Sweet. Okay. Perfect. Um, but is there anything you want to talk about at least like for the Spurs game since you know that's one of the ones that you did? Yeah, I mean, it's cliche and boring to just lead off with Wemby, but I think you have to start there. You have to. Um, he's. I mean, look. They just lost 152 to 111 against the Pacers. So it's not like they're ready to take over the league right now. Um, I also, oh, they didn't have Devin Vassell, which matters. But um, 
Ben Vassell is shooting like 41% from three this year so far. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um I mean, he's actually really good. I don't mean that the way that I don't mean that in the way that other people mean, meant it like the last few years when he wasn't really good. I mean, like yeah. now he's 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 actually really good. Yeah. Um Wembeni Amaman is just insane. And that first game in New York is going to be so hyped. Um crazy which kind of makes me nervous for it i know that's not exactly an x's and o's breakdown but it's on it's getting the espn treatment um which is good for me because i do, i have standing plans every wednesday night and when the game is not on national tv i have to i have to watch it on my phone as me and my parents play trivia night so um <laughs> it'll just be on the tv nice hey man we uh it's it's pretty cool they have three games a night and they give money for the winner every time. And we won the first two games and paid for our meal last week. So, you know. Wow. That's awesome. My parents are trivia nerds. It's trivia I was going to, I was assuming it was you. Uh, no, please. Okay. Gotcha. It's movies, movies and sports is all I offer. That's it. Like, that's yeah. all I got there. I sit and watch Jeopardy with them and they're just like, give me a break. I just like, why weren't they on the show? I just, I don't get people like that. Like, how do you know all this shit? Where do they even learn? Anyways, I don't understand that either. Yeah. It's just crazy. Um, there's just something intangibly worrying about this game because I feel like the Spurs are going to give it a lot more attention than they gave this game in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Um, They beat Phoenix twice in Phoenix, back-to-back games in Phoenix, beat them both times. Durant was healthy for both. Uh, Devin Booker was healthy for one of them. They, They have a high, not high, not like they can win a playoff series or something, or maybe they can, I don't know, but in terms of like what they can do in a single game, they can make they can present issues, and it starts with Weminyama. And what he does is directly the Knicks kryptonite because he will shoot as your center, and Zach Collins will shoot as their whatever. They're almost like dueling centers who both shoot threes. Um, so that's the first place I'm going to look. You have to, if the Knicks are going to win this game, they have to be ready to hedge and recover because when their three point defense against bigs is bad. These guys are too good at shooting. They just walk into wide open threes all the time. That's what they that's what they do when the Knicks are at their worst. That's how the Knicks end up the 19th ranked defense is because they do not hedge and recover properly. It happened opening night this this year. Opening night, Porzingis came out of the gate and was just nailing everything. Mm-hmm. And you know how Tibbs wants to defend these things. And then quickly steps on the court, and all of a sudden Porzingis isn't getting these open threes because quickly does hedge and recover every time. So they know how to do it. And that's like the thing is like I, I always get frustrated with Tibbs defenders because he has these principles that aren't like the easiest to perfect. And they're like, well, if they just executed Tibbs' principles better, like, yeah, everything would go well. And it's like, okay, but you can't expect Jalen Brunson to execute the defensive principles that Emmanuel Quickly and Dante DiVincenzo do. That's not realistic. You have to create you have to create more adaptable defensive principles that Jalen Brunson maybe more um, conservative ones, which is weird to say for Tibbs because he's the ultimate conservative defensive coach. Mm -hmm. Um, But I digress. I think they're going to defend it the same way they always do. And we'll see if they come prepared. The other person I think we should talk about and I'll hand it over to you after is who I highlighted in today's thread. And that's Trey Jones. He is their engine, their organizer. And I don't quite understand why he isn't playing more. It's kind of perplexing to me 
because I, I understand, you know, they love the sell. They love Kelvin Johnson. Obviously they love women. Yama. Apparently they want size on the court next to women. Yama. They don't want him to be the lone big, but they've kind of mitigated that because Zach Collins has come a long way as a shooter. He is a confident three point shooter. Like even tonight in this bloodbath, he was six of eight and he hit a couple threes. So, um, I mean, yeah, so I, I get that they like those guys. I just think that they need to start Trey Jones and not start either Kelvin Johnson or Jeremy Sohan. Um, I don't understand the Jeremy Sohan at point guard experiment. I don't know who that's helping. Um, maybe they think it's getting Devin Vassell more initiation reps. I don't know because they seem to like to run him off screens and curls and stuff. So why not just have your best and only organizer start the game? I, I posted this in the thread today. The Spurs have one player on their entire team whose minutes they're winning. Like, it's not like the bench unit is carrying them. All the bench players are losing their minutes, every single one. All the starters are losing their minutes. The only person who's winning his minutes is Trey Jones, for <laughs> plus 11 per 100. So everybody else is losing, but Trey Jones is plus 11 per 100 when he's on the court. That is like statistically impossible. Yeah. I don't even yeah, 11 how, how and everybody happen. else to be negative. And then this is how it's possible. Because when he's off the court, they're losing those minutes by 25 points per hundred. So they're like, he has just been everything to this team. And I'm scared they're going to like figure it out by the time they play the Knicks and Trey Jones is just going to play 30 to 35 minutes and just torch us with Wemben Yama and that two man action. Yeah. I, I mean, I love everything that you pointed out. Um, kind of covered most of it. I, 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 one, I mean, it was it was it was really distracting me because I don't know if you noticed this, but you called Wemby Yama Wemby the Yama man. Um, it was just like a slip up that happened. Uh, yeah, I, actually, I'm gonna insert that into this into the video right now. Uh, so uh, our audience, I did not call that. him that. I I challenge your I challenge your hearing of what I said. I'm going to I'm throwing the it. red flag on the field <laughs> right now. Throwing the red flag. There's no way I said it. I there's no way. Wemby the Alma Man is just insane. Wemby the Alma Man is. Wemby the Alma Man is. Okay. Challenge. Uh, challenge. And welcome I'm back. Not, I'm to, doing. Welcome what, back I'm to the video time. because you will now have just heard Jeff just say call Wemby Wemba the Yama Man. <laughs> we are. I'm doing what Tom Thibodeau has been doing more this season, but did not do at all last season. Oh, I'm challenging. Challenging. I'm challenging. Yeah. All right. Um. <laughs> Uh, what I what I won't challenge is the Sohan thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like I I don't know the strategy from Pop there. Like I'm very confused about it. Um, your speculation about getting Vassell more on ball reps could be right, but it just it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make sense. So yeah, hopefully they don't figure. Hopefully they figure it out after the next the next game, as you suggested. What I will say is that obviously the Spurs defense is terrible <laughs> or has been terrible so far um we see that with what the pacers just did to them dropping 150 points in regulation which is absurd um so the, the spurs are giving up you know the most points in the nba have the lowest defensive rating and they also have the worst defense um defensive effective field goal percentage so they're giving up you know, 57.8% effective field goal percentage against uh, the teams that they played so far. That is absolutely horrendous. Um, so, yeah, and they also are not a good rebounding team. So I, I just think that this is, despite Wemby's glimpses of, and this is going to sound like hyperbole, but I genuinely believe this. 
I think we've seen, and, and, and maybe you could say this about a handful of players. Um, again, this is just, I, I mean exactly the words I'm about to say. I think from Wemby, we've seen glimpses of what, if sustained, would probably be the best player in NBA history. I think we've already seen that. Um, obviously, the, 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 the part about if sustained is a very tall task, but you know, we've seen extremely high highs, like the highest possible highs. And then we've also seen really lows. And I just, you know, I don't think he's going to have it together yet. I think, I think he'll be up for the game because I think he has a really great head on his shoulders. Um, and I think that the whole Spurs team is going to come in a with a chip on their shoulder from just giving up 152 points to the Spurs and uh, to the Pacers and, and having pop completely rip them a new one. Um, and then two, two days later, going to the garden, I think for those reasons, they're going to be extremely motivated, going to have a huge chip on their shoulder, going to be ready to go. But I just think their defense is, is too leaky. Um, I don't think the Wemby and Zach Collins thing is a great idea. I think for, for like, yeah, Collins is a willing shooter. Um, I don't think he's hitting a super high clip tonight. I mean, tonight or uh, against the Spurs uh, Pacers, he, he shot better from three, but I think on the season, he's not, hasn't been shooting that well, even though he he has historically shot reasonably well and is improving throughout his career. So yeah, I, I don't think that combination is, is great. So I, I think that I do think that the Knicks will be able to score on this team, like pretty much at will. I think the bench is going to annihilate the Spurs bench um, unless Trey Jones is in there. I think that I just think it's too much firepower. So to me, this is really just like a, a continue the good vibes kind of game for the Knicks. I think that they're going to, they're going to just run over them. And I think they're going to get, I think Brunson and Randall are going to cook in this game. And I think that just kind of pretty much put them away. Um, although again, the, the big wild card is Wemby. If Wemby does something insane, like he did against Phoenix and in other spots, but I think we're going to see those games kind of few and far between until he starts to put things together year two or year three. Wemby is very scary. And if he doesn't get injured, I'm just genuinely scared. Like, you know, how people would be like, oh, it's scary, dude. It's real. like, no, I'm genuinely like scared of what will happen if he stays healthy and it just continues to improve um, at the rate that he is. But right now, I think we're catching him early. And, and I just think this team is not it's not very good at all. I don't know if um, were, were you implying that. Because you were like, oh, we've seen highs that um, Wemby could end up being, you know, the greatest player of all time. But we've also seen lows. Were you kind of implying that because he's so young and because he's a rookie, he's a part of their horrific defense? Or is that where you were going with that kind of? Um, I'm not saying he's necessarily like a part of their like, obviously he, his rebounding has been tremendous His you know, his blocking has been like hilarious. Um, I don't think he's like a reason why their defense has been horrendous. But I do think like he's not substantively like I you, you might have the numbers in front of you. I don't know what his on off as far as like defensively is. Yeah, but... I have him in front of me. That's where I was gonna go with that. <laughs> okay, yeah. You wanna you wanna shoot it at me? Because I, I don't I don't even know yeah, what the so numbers are. I, I know the... their defense is much better with him on the court, obviously. Yeah. The Spurs are allowing 110.9 per hundred when he's on and 129.4 when he's off. So they're wow. almost 20 points per, they're almost 20 points per hundred better when he plays. <laughs> on defense, right? Yeah. Yeah, defense defensively. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess their defense is only as bad as however many minutes he doesn't play. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh Charles Bassey isn't exactly getting it getting it done. Or you know what? If, if Pop wants another great player, maybe he's doing exactly what he's there for. I don't I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I, 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 I definitely think that. What'd you say the rating was with him on defense? One ten point nine. Okay, I mean that's really good, obviously, but I don't yeah. think it's like they're you know he's not gonna play. How many minutes is he playing pre? I'm not now. I'm just like quizzing you on like on Wemby mm-hmm. stats. Uh, how many? Minutes uh, he's averaging like twenty seven minutes a game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just not enough to to surmount the, the how terrible. Oh no, I, I I agreed with everything you said um, regarding like what the Knicks are gonna do with them. I was just mm-hmm. I was trying to clarify the part yeah. about Yama Fair. because when when be the Yama man because I uh, <laughs> because um, At, do you have the stats? Think, how how what's the on off for his offense though? Like I'm pretty sure they're they're worse with him on. Um, it seems like that's going to be the case. Yeah, they're scoring 106.1 when he's on. Yeah, and 105.7. So no, they score slightly more. It's break even, okay. but they just are more. terrible either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Trey Jones is really the only winner. Gotcha. Um, although, yeah, his net rating went down a lot after tonight's game because they lost by a billion. But yeah, uh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's gonna happen. S- so sorry to Trey Jones. They're only 30 points per hundred better when he plays now than <laughs> after after tonight. Because because somehow going into today, his his off court net rating, which was minus 25.2 per hundred, went down, <laughs> which again should be impossible. How? But, yeah. yeah. How? I don't even. Yeah. I just okay. don't. I don't think the Jeremy Sohan at point guard experiment is working, and I. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever work. I mean, I don't know that he just doesn't seem like that type of player to me. His true shooting percentage is forty five percent. So like maybe they're like, oh, well, they're not gonna care about him off the ball. So let's try <laughs> to turn him into something else. I don't it's know. Interesting. It's an interesting approach. Uh, I mean, yes, as long as they figure, I would love for them to figure it out. You know what? I when I would love for them to figure it out immediately after the Knicks game because then they play the Timberwolves and they play the Heat. So yes, figure it out right after the Knicks game and then figure out you need to play Wemby more minutes and you need to play Trey Jones in the starting lineup and more minutes. Then that would be amazing. But don't do it by, you know, the the uh, Wednesday. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about the Hornets because that was another team that was in your threat. I mean, so far, I think Charlotte has been a little better than expected. Um, Again, another team that whose defense is super vulnerable. Um, you know, like I said about the Spurs, I think they're sort of similar. And I just think these are two back-to-back games that are would be amazing opportunities for the Knicks to continue the good vibes, get their shots going, um, and kind of score at will, do what they want to do. I mean, the, the 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 Hornets are better offensively, but you know, defensively they're right around that same range. So um, again, you did these are this was a team that was part of your breakdown and your thread. Uh, what are the things that you want to talk about? So the Hornets have played the Knicks well historically, like even as they've not been very good um, these last few years, they've given the Knicks problems. And again, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but the reason they give the Knicks such problems is because eventually they go small and put PJ Washington at center and the Knicks don't know what to do with that. Um, with that being said, I don't know how much they're going to do that against the Knicks because Mark Williams plays a ton of minutes and it seems like they like Nick Richards at backup. Like against the Mavericks on Sunday, those two played all 48 minutes, which is just a worse version of the Knicks at center. Like, okay, so you've got Mark Williams and Nick Richards. We have Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hardenstein. The Knicks are going to win that matchup. Uh 
a huge percentage of the time. So I'll be curious to see if um, Steve Clifford adjusts. And I mean, he's seen it. He's gotten the evidence of PJ Washington just torching the Knicks at center. Um, I'll be curious to see if he comes in with an adjustment like that. Outside of that, um, LaMelo Ball's, I mean, he had a great game yesterday. He ended up with 30, 13, and 10, scored a bunch late, almost led a huge comeback victory, but he's really, really struggled to start the season with his scoring. Um, and Terry Rozier is hurt. I just don't see a ton of firepower on this team. I don't know. I, I know that's just, that's broken analysis. I haven't mentioned Gordon Hayward, who's kind of resurging. I mean, Hayward's always been a really good player. Like that's people, people associate him with two things, his contract and his injuries. So when those are the two things you're most associated with, there's a negative connotation that floats around you whenever anybody talks about him. But independent of his contract, he's a good player who can give the Knicks trouble when he's on the court. But I'm not sure if LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward are, are enough to beat the Knicks in this style. Um, Brandon Miller's played a little bit better lately, although as a starter, eh, hasn't been as good. But that, I, I don't mean that to like dump on him as a prospect. He'll be fine long term. But is he going to come to MSG and torch the Knicks? Maybe he will. But I would. I feel very confident in the Knicks this game, especially after watching them tonight against the Clippers. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I'm honestly I, I I would welcome them to play to play PJ at at center. Honestly, like I I know he's torched them in the past from three, and he's shooting really well to start the season. But like he's not a good rebounder, and the way that Mitch is dominating the glass right now, it's just I think it would be overwhelming. I, I think it's too much. I don't think his three is going to be enough. I mean, what's the best case scenario? He hits five threes you know like six threes something like that like it's just not going to be enough to 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 deal with the fact that mitch is going to be getting gobbling up extra possessions and hartenstein would too um so yeah i yeah i I think i think something to to uh i think something to remember about that though is there's also the intangible effect that it has on the rest of the offense of course it's not just it's not just the threes Mm -hmm. that you know it's not just the 18 points you get from six threes it's right. the adjustment you force the Knicks to make that will then open up other other avenues to be more efficient in their offense, you know? Well, if they make the adjustment, right? That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, what's the worst that could happen? It's like, if you overreact to it, then yes, you're playing into their hands. But like, I even if you don't adjust to it, is this going to be a PJ Washington, like, you know, take 17 threes like Steph Curry did, uh, you know, today. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen no matter what the Knicks do. Um, so yeah, if you overreact to it and you try to adjust to it and then that opens up different things, but I just feel like it's like, Hey, if, if you want to play PJ Washington and have him shoot 17 threes tonight and we get every single offensive rebound that, that is even potentially available and also every defensive rebound and, and everything's a one shot, and done possession for the horn for the Hornets. Do they have enough firepower to win that way? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Um, because even like you said, if Rogier's not playing and I don't know if he's expected to play or not, or we'll be back by then, but LaMelo and Hayward who, you know, like you said, Hayward's a good player. Um, I think he's been, you know, since the injuries, his calling card has really been his defense. He's been really good on defense. And, um, you know, more recently, um, like you touched on your thread and like we texted about a little bit. He's been going down into the block a little bit more, taking shots closer to the basket. Um, you know, he's been playing well, but at the end of the day, he's still like not a super efficient offensive player, um, given his t- his tendency to take mid-range shots and not 
shoot them <laughs> very well. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, LaMelo has been struggling. Maybe LaMelo gets hot playing the Knicks and gets excited about it, but they just don't have enough firepower. I will say Mark Williams. I like Mark Williams. I don't know how you, how you feel about him. I think he's a, I think he's a good player. Um, yeah. Super strong already, rebounder. Yeah. He, he kind of reminds me of Walker Kessler, like Walker Kessler East. Yeah. Like I'm not sure how high the ceiling is, but just really high floor, solid player, dependable. Um, mm-hmm. Won't hurt you offensively. Good around the rim. Will get a lot of rebounds and is a solid rim protector. I like Mark Williams a lot too. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And then there's a place for him in the league, and and I think he'll be a valuable contributor as long as, you know, like I will say a controversial opinion that I have, and that you know I'd love to hear your response to this. I think in like ten years, I think there are going to be very few players in the league who like can't shoot at all. Like I don't think I think including centers i think like one through 12 there's gonna be very few players who are just like, i think you're gonna have to confer so much value through the other things that you do like a mitchell robinson um that that there will just be very few players who can shoot because i think that the young guys like we're talking 10 years in the future we're already sh- seeing the influence of big men shooters um the influence of even curry on on bigs you know um i think that everybody wants to shoot everybody's learning to shoot we see guys like chet holmgren and um victor Wembanyama, and like just everybody who's coming up who's like a big they have some skill and finesse and ability to shoot and i just think 10 years from now i think there are going to be these guys who just like literally everything every shot they take has to be around the rim i mean i don't know if you saw that clip of um if, if you saw that clip of uh um uh, Jericho Sims uh, recently where he was he was doing some work with a coach oh he was doing some work with it with one of his uh, coaches and just doing some dribbling work but he was taking like turnaround mid-range shots like like you know Carmelo style turnaround fades and and hitting threes and it's like this is Jericho Sims you know like I I just think that the skill sets are going to be much, much, much more robust for bigs like in the future. I don't know. Like it's a random thought, but that is a, a, a controversial opinion I have. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, so I have two responses, one with my heart and one with my head. My heart really hopes you're wrong because just the three point onslaught, I think has been good for basketball in terms of like creating more space, creating a more, just a more aesthetically pleasing game, but it can get taken too far. And just like the game turning into variance fest, three point, three, three point contests isn't interesting to me. Um, I like the game inside the arc. I think it's interesting. I like, um, yeah, I just, I think the game is more interesting when there's uh variety. And then, I think I, I want to just jump on that. Cause I, I think it's like what you just said, right? So about the PJ Washington thing. So if we see guys who can shoot more, I think we'll see more interesting play inside the arc because we're going to have more space and you're going to just be able to see like the amazing skill sets of some of these guards who can break someone down off the dribble and get all the way to the rim. They're going to be able to do that because nope, the rim won't, I mean, the paint won't be nearly as clogged as, as it has been. I think, you know, like a system like Tibbs's defensive scheme w- won't even be viable at that point because you won't be able to like shade so much to the um, to pack the paint in the way that the Knicks tend to do or other teams tend to do. Like, I just feel like we're going to see more really cool, like offensive talent on display from elite, like skill guards who are able to get to the rim and you're not going to be able to trap them the way that 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 teams do nowadays. Yeah, I can see it. I also just think shooting is harder than the guys in the NBA make it look. 
uh, in today's league. And I think that the bigs who can shoot are, there will always be ways to exploit them. Um, I, I just find it hard to believe that the league is just going to be filled with um, Chet Holmgren, Chet Holmgren's and uh, Victor Wembanyama's. I just, I I think there will always be the big guys who are more plotting and overpowering, but still offer something because they're better rim protector, rim protectors and rebounders and tougher to go through. So I, look, you're obviously incredibly smart and I'm not going to say there's a 0% chance of what you're saying is happening. I'm not even going to say there's a low percent chance. You could very well be right. I just, I hope you're wrong and I'm not, I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, that's that's totally respectable. So I I, I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's like. I think I would get odds if I was placing a bet on it. I will say. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> so that's why it's a little out there. But anyway, I digress. Obviously, that was a tangent. Uh, we can turn it back to the Knicks uh, final game of like you know we'll be a week from from the the Clippers game. They will be playing the Celtics on Monday. Um, A rematch of the Knicks' first game of the season. A game that they could have easily won, and the Celtics went on a little bit of a rampage dismantling team since then, although they did drop their first game to the Timberwolves um, to show a little bit of that, you know, the fact that they can bleed as well. Um, But, you know, a lot of what we talked about for the Celtics has kind of come true in the first, uh, in our first pod that we did and and, and discussing our, our, our kind of, I wouldn't say fear of them, but just, you know, a healthy respect for what they have to offer. And um, honestly, their best players, in my opinion, at least looking at some of the games and some of the data um, has been obviously Jason Tatum um, has been just going on a complete rampage in in many of the games, but as well, uh, Derek White, Derek White, who uh, has been unheralded for a lot of his career, starting to gain some respect that, you know, as he came over to Boston from San Antonio um, last year was tremendous. And this year has been just, just like, it, I mean, if there were, if the season was mid season and he played how he is, he'd be an all-star for sure. So, um, you know, those two guys are the ones that, that are, 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 are the most dangerous on that team right now. Um, you know, the spacing that Porzingis is providing, I think has been incredible. And that team just is, is, is clicking on all cylinders. What do you what do you think about the matchup, um, the rematch going into uh, to to next Monday? Do you know what Derek White's on court net rating is? I don't know. I would imagine it's something ridiculous. Um, is it like so? Plus? So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two things okay. before you answer. <laughs> okay. One. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and two, but here's here's the funnier part. Okay. He actually somehow doesn't lead the team, the rotation of the rotation players in net rating differential. It's Tatum, right? It is. Yeah. Um and you really nail like people don't understand how important Jason Tatum is. And I'm going to rant about that here in a second, but I'm going to let you answer my question. What you think Derek White's okay. on court net rating first. Derek White on court net, net rating plus, is it like a Jokic level thing? Is it like plus 19 or something crazy like that? You're close. It's 28.2. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was not <Yeah>. close. <laughs> and, then, and then Tatum is 20.8, but um, yeah. 
they're winning everybody else's off minutes and they're losing Tatum's by five per hundred. Mm. So dif- differential, um, he yeah. wins. Um, by the way, uh, we're going to have to just clip me saying that uh, the Celtics starting lineup is going to break net rating records because I'm off to a very, very good start there. Yeah. Um, speaking yeah. of speaking of very funny stats, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to do trivia part two. What do you think that lineup's net rating is right now? <laughs> the starting played, lineup? It's, yeah. It's played 72 minutes. <laughs> Their net rating? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Their net rating. They're shattering records. Uh, plus 32. Again, you were close. 37.3 per hundred. At that time, I was actually close. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously, that's not going to sustain. But Because they're deep. They're de- yeah. Do you want to talk about their defense? Like, Because I know we talked about their offense a lot last time. You made the point that, um, you know, to be really, really good, to be like that elite level team, their defense is going to have to keep up. They're not going to just be able to be like an elite number one offense and then have like a mediocre defense. They're going to have to have a, I think they've had an elite defense so far this year. So do you want to talk anything about their defense? Yeah, it's been better than elite. I mean, that lineup in specific, excuse me, that lineup specifically is allowing 88 points per hundred possessions. They're just absolutely obliterating people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you do with them. Like Jalen Brown is the worst defender on the court <laughs> and we can get and also the, the worst player on the court, but go ahead. Yeah, we can, we can get the $300 million jokes off, but if Jalen <laughs> Brown is your worst defender, yeah, that's uh, no joke. I don't, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like, like just imagine the Knicks playing them, right? Like, uh, okay. Maybe maybe they struggle with Randall. Maybe Randall's like a unique body type where, but like Randall struggles with smaller defenders. We've seen him struggle with Alex Caruso. So okay, they just throw Derek White on Jalen Brunson and Drew Holiday on on Julius Randall, and oh no, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown take tur- and Jalen Brown take turns on our like every team has to deal with this. This is yeah. They're, they're, they're switching everything. You're not exploited. There, there's no, there's no way to exploit them. And then they've got Al Horford and Chris Epps Porzingis, two damn good rim protectors at the rim. Like the Timberwolves beat them in overtime tonight. Anthony Edwards went nuts. They're not going to go 82 and 0, but I don't know what you do with this team. This team is, and here's what you do with this team. You blitz them in the non Jason Tatum minutes. That's what you do. Because yeah, this is where this is where I was going with this. I think Jason Tatum currently is the most underrated player in the NBA. I think, and and I'm including his people don't understand the impact he has on winning already, and how just how important he is to his team. Um, like he was better than Jimmy Butler and anyone else in that series last year. He was better than anyone else in the series the year before. He has outplayed everyone in his playoff series, and he's gotten no help from his teammates whatsoever. The on-off numbers in that Heat series were ridiculous. It was something like the Heat were like 13 points better per 100 when Jimmy sat, and the Celtics were like 25 points per 100 worse when Tatum sat. It was something like a 40-point differential between the two players on-off differentials. And after the series, everyone's just like, yeah, Tatum can't beat playoff Jimmy. And it's like, dude, what were you, what are you watching? I don't, it's just, I don't need to go on an anti-heat rant, but 
Tatum is just such a good two-way player. He's such a good scorer. The way he bends defense, his, oh man, he is just, it's such a beautiful thing to watch. Like there's just things that defy the analytics of the game. And Jason Tatum's honestly one of them because he kind of blends, you know, old school craft in terms of footwork operating from the mid post, just the different things, the different ways he can get to his, get to his spots with a modern shot diet. He is, I think he could win MVP this year. I really do. I don't think he'll deserve MVP. <laughs> um, I think I think Jokic will deserve MVP forever until he <laughs> stop, in, in, until he stops being Jokic, or yeah. until apparently Wemby the Wemby the Yama man start starts being the greatest player of all time. Yeah, but, then then yeah, that's true. Um, I I I totally hear what you're saying, and I and I I largely agree. I think Tatum. I do think Tatum is is probably underrated at this point. I think. We've seen some of his shortcomings come up in big moments. I mean, there are just like kind of silly things that happen with Tatum where like he like suddenly loses an ability to like finish at the rim. Like he leaves shots short at the rim sometimes and then he like falls in love with the mid-range jumper sometimes like randomly. Like you said, generally he has a very modernized shot diet. It's like threes and at the rim and this year i know he's finishing at the rim at an absurd clip um and hitting threes and at an absurd clip and but you know it, i at not at a sustainable rate but at the same time i do think he is just reaching his prime he's just turned 25 years old um or he's going to turn 26 soon i think actually um but anyway he's just hitting his prime and i do think we're gonna see and have started to see a little bit of a leap with for um from him with some of the spacing that's being added by Porzingis and having Horford and Porzingis be your fives and just having everybody out like a five out lineup, a true five out lineup with Porzingis being one of the most versatile players, in my opinion, the NBA being an elite rim protector. I don't think he's a very good rim protector. I think he's an elite rim protector. Um, and then also shooting 40% from three. <laughs> like that's, that is you're just essentially, you know, how the Timberwolves have Towns and Gobert, you like have them both in the same person, like to, to obviously not to the height of either of those guys on either end, but you have that skill set in one person. Um, so, yeah, I just think that combination is going to be lethal. And I that's, you know, that's why I, you know, predicted that if Porzingis stays healthy, I don't think that the Celtics can be stopped on the en route to a championship despite some of the shooting variants that we're going to see from three-point shooting i i still think it's too much i think it's too much from a, a schematic standpoint to even figure out how to stop and if their defense plays like this with Derek white doing what he does and drew holiday doing what he does um and then tatum like who is even the best defensive player on this team like who who would you say is the most impactful defensive player on this team um still it, true you think it's still Drew? Yeah. He's just, he's too versatile. He's too good at everything. He's Derek White's really good, but he, his size gives his size. He doesn't him and Drew are, I think they're the same height if I recall correctly, but Drew is bulkier yeah, and yeah. he, he, he uh, will do better against bigger wings. <laughs> I also think Drew is more of a problem off the ball. He's just, yeah, I think Drew is still their best defender. So but you I, think I see Drew is a better off-ball defender than Derek White? I, I wouldn't agree with that. I do, yeah. <laughs> you agree with yourself? <laughs> yes, I agree. I, I agree with myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
So I, I, I think to me, I think Derek White's the best defender, uh, uh, the most impactful defender on the team. Just, just and and yeah, he doesn't have the size. I think his, I think his off ball defense. I I need to look at some metrics for this, but in terms of like my watching, I don't watch the I don't watch the Celtics like you know every game of the Celtics, but I do keep close tabs on them because they are a team that I think is formulating the model for what I think like an NBA team should be with like essentially everybody in their rotation can shoot um, upwards of, of league average from three. Uh, from what I see, Derek White seems to be one of the premier off ball defender defenders in the NBA um, and his ability to like stunt and recover. Um, you know, he does a lot of what quickly does make up, make up for mistakes. Um, he's excellent on ball though. Like he's, he's actually like much better than quickly on ball. And yeah, I just, I, I just think he's, he, he's amazing. I, I think Drew obviously has, is way more versatile and can, can guard up. He can guard Julius Randle, you know, which um, we are seeing teams kind of make a habit of this maybe to an extent where uh, we saw Russell Westbrook on Randle for a time. We see Drew Holiday on Randle. We've seen Alex Caruso on Randle. So some of these small kind of stockier guards are, are being put on Randle. Um, probably to disrupt him and 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 cause some turnovers, but at the same time, we I don't think we would put we would see Derek White too much on Randall, but I just think his overall impact in terms of in his role, like off ball roamer guarding the next um, the best like small uh, guard on on the opponent's team, I think to me is like the most impactful defensive player. But the fact that this is an argument, we're we're, we're arguing over Drew um, um, Drew Holiday and Derek White, and we're not even talking about Jason Tatum and Kristaps Porzingis as even in the conversation, should explain why this team is like such a freaking juggernaut. So yeah, this is the first team. In all the NBA since the 2016 Warriors, who coincidentally didn't win the championship, but this is the first team team since the 2016 Warriors where every player in the lineup is always maximized. Hmm. They're getting the absolute most out of every player they can. <laughs> There's no, every player is allowed to be their best self. There's no, I will there's say no, maybe Brown. Do you think Brown's being maximized no, currently? No, because because Brown's impact is much higher as a, a mega second option than yeah. he is as a first option on a bad team. He would be that's what he would be if you tried right. to get more out of him. He would be the first option on a bad team, right? Yeah, right now, yeah. he you you cannot get more out of him. I'm sure he thinks you can get more out of him. <laughs> But yeah, why don't you ask Jordan Poole how that's going? You know, like I'm, I'm sure Jordan Poole's enjoying being the first option right now. And I'm sure his Wizards teammates are really enjoying having him being the first option right now. But <laughs> some players just here's a question for you. Who yeah. upgraded bigger this offseason? Genuine question. Who who upgraded bigger this offseason? The Bucks or the Warriors? The Bucks or the Warriors? Yep. Who do you think? Which upgrade was bigger, Dame from Drew or CP3 from Pool? I uh, okay. I mean, my answer is going to be Dame because I just I think that speaking of underrated players at this point, I think Dame is underrated offensively. Like, um, but I I hear what you're saying. I hear why it's like a conversation. Um, in terms of like, I, I don't think it's a conversation. So finish your answer. I I don't think it's close. Okay, well, I'm saying I think it's a, I I think it's a conversation in terms of like fit, right? So like removing someone who's like a complete 
non-fit um, in pool from that from that roster and putting someone who is a perfect fit in CP3. Um, I think that that yeah, is... I'm sorry, it's not fit. Pool's just not good. Like that's that's why it's not a conversation. Pool's a bad basketball player. I wouldn't me. go that far. I he, would not go bad, that far. He's a bad NBA basketball player. He's obviously sick at like playing basketball. Like <laughs> any any one of any one of us would kill to play basketball. Like Jordan Pool. Pool is 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 he's also okay. I I'm not saying that you're doing this. I'm not. You're not doing this. I'm going to say very clearly, you're not doing this. And I think that you would have this opinion what that you're espousing about Jordan Poole, whether, you know, before the season started, you would have the same opinion, but the number of people like taking victory laps over what we've seen from two weeks into the season is extremely frustrating to me. Like people are like, see, I told you, look, you know, this guy sucks. This guy's amazing. This team sucks. This look at, you know, Bain can't do anything. And, and this guy's horrible. It's like, Dude, it's two weeks, and it's like most of these teams have played like six or seven games. Uh, we need to, like we need time. We need time to to understand anything of what's happening. We need at least thirty games. Give me thirty games, and then start to you know poke your head up and be like, "See, I told you." I think that's fine, but I it's early, so I'm not. Again, you're. Not, I'm not saying that you're doing that because I think that you have you've had this view on pool prior to the season and this- you mean since he played an entire season as one of the worst players in the nba yes I've, <laughs> I, it hasn't been 30 games it's been 90 games now so yeah yeah uh, so that again that's not yeah that's not about you but i i will say pool right now is is clearly not being maximized like do you think what do you think about his 2022 season with the Warriors? you think like that was a blip that was that's was fake like i mean he played over 70 games that season and was an excellent offensive player that season. Like, uh, do, do you think that that was artificial Dude, if or you can't be maximized next to Steph Curry? It's the Kelly Oubre rule. Like, I don't care. I don't care if you, if you, if that's a bad fit, you lose, you're not, you're not a good NBA player. Steph Curry is a good fit for anybody ever. I agree with you. So I agree. No, I mean, I agree with you that Steph Curry is a good fit for anybody ever. I agree with that. Um, but if you are like a worse version, a very, very, very poor, a destitute man's version of Steph Curry, then he probably isn't a good fit for you, right? Like you wouldn't just want a guy who's like, hey, I can approximate what you do to, by like 10% to play next to, right? Like that, that, if there was anybody you could imagine and cook up as like a bad fit next to Curry would be somebody who's doing an extremely poor version of what he's doing, right? Okay, let me let me say one thing. Fit is simultaneously the most underrated and most overrated thing in the entire world. And here's what I'll say about that. Um, Impact analytics are always talking about how a player performs in the role that they're given. You know this. That gets discounted all the time. Role, fit, these things, when speaking about players in a vacuum, they get discounted all the time. That being said, there's a line and... If you're a certain level of player, I don't give a shit about fit. You have to make it work. You have to figure out how to... Dude, do you think Emmanuel quickly has a good fit right now? No, he's just figured out how to be a good, impactful player. Like, Jordan Poole... What, what is a good fit for Jordan Poole? So playing next to Steph Curry, bad fit. Playing on a team where he gets to be the number one option, bad fit. What? How do we do? Why is anybody bending over backwards to fit around Jordan Poole? No, he has to figure out how to impact winning in ways that on the team he's on. And he hasn't done that since 
his champ since 2020 2022, which agreed, good year. But I mean, at a certain point, what what we're seeing is what we're seeing. Like if a player shows you who he is, you believe him, right? Like, I don't know. This is so interesting. So I no, I, I think I think it's more so I think it's 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 a two-way street. I think the team if a player has value and and can be like you know the, the best version of themselves possible that you could imagine in the best fit and role possible could be a really positive impactful player i think the team has to figure out how to get that out of that player and that player also needs to figure out how to mold into you know the role on the team that they have that they can allot to them so i think it's a two way street i don't think it's all up to the player Oh, you know, saying, saying it's a middle ground is the right answer. Cause I was, as I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about like RJ Barrett and how, yeah, yeah. That's a great example. Especially, especially, especially his last season, all of his, you know, defenders would be like, oh, well the Knicks haven't done him any favors and they never have any spacing around him and blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm -hmm. And my answer was always just, okay, like I agree, but you're RJ Barrett, like you haven't, made an all-star team yet like i get he was the number three pick in the draft but at a certain point he just has to figure out a way to do like what he's doing this year you know like what he's doing this year is phenomenal and it makes you wonder like is it growth as a player or is it a a, a re-dedication or dedication is the wrong word a re-aiming of what he's going to focus on because he's definitely focused on the right things this year he's passing more on drives he's defending more he's made it so how he's scoring is a luxury. It's not, de- it's not defining his value as a player. And so, but to go back to my original he's, point, he's also shooting 44% from three this year or, or something. Yeah, like but that. my I point is remember. that when, if, and when that goes down to 35%, I still think he'll be, if he, if he keeps playing this well in all the other areas, I think the impact numbers will reflect that. I, I agree with a, you, but I don't think they're going to be as good. That's my, I guess that's my point, well, of right? Not. Like, of yeah, not. So if that's you're making point, 10% right? fewer threes, right? But, but I, I just want to get back to the original point, which okay. is that I don't think RJ Barrett is entirely to blame for his struggles last season, but I also don't think the Knicks are entirely to blame. I think, yeah, what you said about it falling somewhere in the middle is exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I generally, but I, I agree with you that it's pushing it's straining the limits of that of accountability when you're talking about Steph Curry particular in particular right like if you're not fitting next to Curry I largely agree with your Kelly Oubre rule um that means you're probably not a good player like that's as close as you can come to that but at the same time I think that we've seen what we saw from Jordan Poole over a 70 plus game sample um including some of the year before that it's too much basketball where he was like such a positive impact offensive player. Um, you know, the fact like the guy shoots when he's on, he shoots like 90% from the free throw line. He shoots, uh, you know, 40% on open threes. Like I, 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 I don't, his finishing is tremendous. Like he's so crafty around the hoop. I think that's an underrated part of his game. It's like, um, it's like a mini, it's like a Kyrie Irving light in terms of like his ability to finish in crafty ways around the rim. It's just, it's too many skills for me to say like the guy's just bad at basketball or just like, you know, like he can't 
be a, a positive contributing player on a basketball team. I, I, I think that that's too far for me. Um, yes, maybe his fit is difficult to find in the NBA, and I don't think he should have a team to his own. But again, you know, I think he's played like six or seven games so far not shooting that great from three shooting awfully from the mid range. Um, not even shooting that great from the free throw line, which to me is always an indicator of like the shot, just not being like really right. So I think we're going to see better, better days from pool ahead. I don't think he's going to be an all-star or anything like that, but I think we'll, we'll see better days ahead for him. And to be clear, he can get better. I wasn't saying like, this is it for him, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I shouldn't have used the words I did. Like, obviously, he's an incredible basketball player. That's, that's not what I meant. Like, no, I know you didn't mean that. Like, um, like Jordan Poole is bad at basketball. I, I know yeah, you mean like, that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine Imagine how hard he would laugh in my face if I was like, dude, you're not good at basketball? Like, he would just be like, what? <laughs> he would just be like, who are you? Like, like, what are you? One of the just... most talented people to touch, like, a basketball in history. history. Like, you know, yeah. it's like... like, literally the history of the world. Yes, he's exactly. one of them. And I'm this like this mook, <laughs> mook over here on a podcast. Like, oh, you're not good at basketball, dude. Like, <laughs> no, you didn't have to explain it to me. Like, but maybe that's helpful for the audience to know that's not what you. Not, I just don't want people exactly out there to think that it. I'm like, yeah, he sucks at basketball. Like, no, I, I obviously that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, that was a tangent from the Celtics. Uh. uh I, I I do I do want to say though. Yeah. I still I still think that the gap between Paul and I asked the question. I'm going to answer it myself. I think Paul is still very good. Mm-hmm. I think his impact on winning is underrated. Um, I think that he could, if the Celtics don't win the championship, we could look back at the Chris Paul trade as one of the reasons that the Celtics don't win the championship because all of a sudden the non Steph Curry minutes are tenable for the Warriors because they have an organizer. And I said something that you might find ludicrous, but I actually think is, is um, reasonable. I think that Chris Paul is actually more valuable to have next to the guys coming off of the bench for the Warriors than Steph Curry is, even in his current form. And here's why I'll say that. Yeah, I I will say that I do think that's ludicrous, but proceed. Steph Curry (laughs) elevates his teammates in a very specific way. He elevates them in a way that they still have to be able to do the legwork. He creates the space, but, but he, he, and he does that better than anybody in NBA history. But and I'm not saying he's a bad passer, but he spends so much time off ball, even in these bench lineups, that the the majority of the way that he is elevating his teammates is by creating space and taking defenders away from them. A very, very helpful thing. In my opinion, a guy like Jonathan Kuminga doesn't need it. He would take having a little bit less space if he had somebody putting him in better spots, because I don't think he can do the legwork yet. I think he's so young and his skill set is so undeveloped that he needs someone elite at putting him in the spots where he's going to succeed. And I think that's what Chris Paul does. And I think that that's why you're seeing the bench. The Warriors in nine seasons haven't come close to having a bench unit that plays like this. They have been carried by their starting lineup. And right now, they are just blitzing teams with Chris Paul on the court, blitzing teams with when Chris Paul plays plus 11.9 per hundred. When he plays minus 3.8 per hundred on the team on a team with Steph Curry on it, he has the widest net differential of anybody on the team. And I don't think that's an accident. I think he is elevating his teammates in a better and a different way and a necessary way than what Steph Curry did for them. And now I'm not saying that Chris Paul is better, 
of course not. I'm of course I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for this specific subset of teammates, for Moses Moody and Jonathan Kuminga, they needed something different. They needed to be elevated in a different way. And I think Chris Paul is the perfect acquisition for that. And I think that they can win a championship because of it. I think that's a incredibly thoughtful and insightful perspective. So I, you know, obviously I value your perspective. You and anything you say about basketball, I'm going to listen. So I, I, I totally hear that. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, I do think there's a couple of things. So I do think that there's some underselling of like the improvement of those other players. I think there's like a, a, a causal attribution of the success of the bench unit to Chris Paul and kind of an undermining of the success that comes as a result of improvement from Moses Moody, like huge improvement from Jonathan Kaminga, although the, you know, the shot's not going so far this year. Um, it wasn't a preseason, um, you know, Gary Payton, the second, you know, as who has been very solid and has been like pretty good this year. Um, you know, the addition of Dario Saric, who is shooting the freaking lights out so far this season, um, like on a, on high volume is just like freaking, I don't know, he's shooting like 40 plus percent from three. Um, so I think those guys deserve some of the credit. Um, I do think Chris Paul has been excellent for them. And I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I also, this, I mean, to me, one of the biggest reasons why we need impact metrics and why I care about them and use them so much is that the just raw on-off numbers or the raw differentials don't tell the story because they don't tell you who the opponents are. They don't tell you the strength of the opponents and they don't tell you the strength of the players that you're on the court with. So impact metrics, you know, try to do that. And that's really like their purpose. Like the purpose of their existence is to be able to say, you know, to equalize across the board, you know, the strength of opponent, strength of, uh, of teammates. And I think obviously it's a very small sample size, so you wouldn't be able to use any, um, impact metrics at this point. But when we have a large enough sample size, even if things were to continue the way they were, we would see that Chris Paul's impact is nowhere near the impact of Steph Curry, even on those players, um, that you're referring to. Uh, but at the same time, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think it's true. I think, I think it's a really, it's a really interesting and valid line of argumentation for this. Like I wouldn't have really thought of it that way, but um, I agree that probably Chris Paul is more, nah, I'm not going to say more valuable is uh, very valuable to someone like Jonathan Kaminga, who um, may, like you said, benefit from more from being put in a position to succeed for him um, as opposed to he, as much as he would um, from having more space. But I think at the end of the day, all of these basketball players are very talented and they all benefit more from more space. Like, I think spacing and, you know, I'm biased because this is my view and I, and, and I'm almost like I should be, I, I really want it to be disproved, but I, I believe that spacing is the most important component of the modern game of basketball. And I think that the more spacing you have, the better players are going to be. And I think that that's the most valuable thing that you can bring to them. Um, so that's, that's kind of my view on it. I mean, if I told you before the season, like I told you, I'm like, I'm a time traveler. And we're eight games into the season and the Warriors are eight points worse per hundred when Steph Curry plays than when he sits. What mm -hmm. would like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just be like, Oh, so they're fucked them. That, that would be your reaction, right? If, if you said that just on raw, um, just, just raw on, on off net or mm -hmm. net rating differential. Yeah. They are eight, eight points per hundred possessions worse when Steph Curry plays than when he sits. 
Yeah, I, I, would, I would assume something. they're fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're six and two. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I agree with you about the value of better impact data. Like, I'm not saying raw on off is everything, but I do think it is telling us a story about what Chris Paul is doing there. And like, I think if you looked at, you know, combinations, like if we, you know, started to do two, three man combinations, I think you just see that guys are doing more with Chris Paul than with Steph Curry right now. And again, this isn't Who, saying who's, that Paul... who's second on the team in, in, in raw um, differential Gary Payton. Okay. So, but yeah, but we wouldn't argue that Gary Payton is have is elevating all of his teammates and like creating this kind of, no, impact. but this is where you use film and common sense. That's kind of a non, non, uh, not non sequitur, but I, I feel like that's a false equivalence. Excuse me. I, I think that's because we, we know we've watched Chris Paul for 15 years. We know he has a long history of elevating teammates of making, of raising the floor of role player teammates. That's like what he does. So I don't think. Yeah, that's sure. But, but also Chris Paul today is okay. Like I'm looking, okay. I'm just looking at his raw efficiency stats. Like he's, he's shooting 13% from three and, and his true shooting is like 44%. And I know we're talking about his ability to elevate his teammates, but you have to be a threat yourself to elevate team. Like you can't just magically make your teammates better without you yourself being a threat. Like part of Chris Paul's. I disagree because I think I think one of Chris Paul's teammates is proof of that. I think Draymond Green elevates his teammates all the time, uh, offensively. But he's a threat in certain ways. He's like a threat to. Um, he, he he's a. Pa- I mean his his, his passing is tremendous in a th- four on three situation, which is created by Steph Curry in a lot of situations. Um, he can also get to the basket if you know, like under certain conditions. And if, as long as you generate those conditions for him, he does become a threat. So I, I I'm saying like you have to be a threat in some way. Um, and earlier in his career, threat, Draymond- just just because he he's still getting treated like a threat just because he's shooting thirty. You're 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 kind of hopping around here. Like if when Draymond mm. Green averages four points a game and you say, okay, well, yeah, he's averaging four points a game, but he's still a threat because they know, okay, well, Chris Paul's averaging four points a game, but he's still a threat. They know he can make the three. Like he's, he's not just going to start getting ignored because he's, you know, shooting bad over a 33 point attempt sample. Yeah. But Draymond Green, the, the point with Draymond Green is that, um, in a lot of those, so when he was at his most threatening offensively, he was shooting like thirty. He was shooting at least like league average from three. And then when he was, when his threat became more of his ability to exploit a four on three scenario, that was a result of playing with Steph Curry, right? Like that's, I, I don't think Draymond Green on a different team. I mean, we talked. I mean, we talked about how underrated Draymond is and and how amazing he is. But to me, it's more about his like defensive impact and his offensive lubrication, uh, as I stated. Mm-hmm. But I. I in of his himself, like if we put Draymond on a different team that didn't have Steph Curry, I don't think he would. I think he'd be a negative the offensive player. Yeah, I don't. From a teammate elevation standpoint, I don't agree because I think his passing is that good. I think he's a special passer and has an incredibly high IQ. So I think that he would just. Yeah. So I think where we're disagreeing is that you don't have to. I think you have to be an offensive threat yourself in order to have uh, a, an impact on the like a positive impact on the offensive side. 
And the reason, like the loophole, essentially why it seemed like I was jumping around the loophole with Draymond is that like Steph Curry unlocked head, like four on three with the ball. <laughs> Draymond Green is an offensive threat. Absolutely. Five on five. I, I don't think he's an offensive threat and thusly would be a negative offensive player without somebody like Curry to create that, that, that kind of situation regularly for him. Yeah. Um, I just have a hard time believing that the Warriors offense can possibly be being hurt by Chris Paul right now. If oh, I'm not saying this- they're being hurt. I'm not saying they're being hurt. I'm just saying like, I'm just saying that you're saying that he is more positively uplifting to their bench. I'm saying specifically guys like I'm saying specifically guys like Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. Mm-hmm. He is elevating them in a way that Steph Curry didn't last season in a different way. That okay. is helping yeah, them. I think that's true. That is helping them reach and is going to help them improve as players. Yeah. I I, I think that that this is a really interesting topic. I, I I need to watch Warriors basketball a lot more closely and kind of keep my eye on this because I honestly was not aware that Curry's even raw um raw on offer and raw net rating were like in this range that like actually like negative that that's actually shocking to me i didn't realize that at all that is different people for people at home listening for the first time xj saying this is really interesting is like 90 percent he finds it interesting and 10 percent he's gonna be like jeff what the fuck were you talking about like <laughs> but he's too he's too nice to say it on stream no that's not true at all <laughs> I, it, maybe in some scenarios that's probably accurate in this one no because i i'm really curious about this like i what you said what you said which is that if at the beginning of the season if you said i'm from the future then the words are eight games in and the they have a negative eight or negative 10 whatever it is differential um you know on off uh or overall they have a negative differential with steph curry on the court what's their record i'd be like oh they're oh and eight or they're trash like they're just like this, <laughs> they're bottoming out like it's just completely it's a train wreck you know um so that's enough for me to like take that very seriously and obviously i take everything that you say seriously so um forget just to just to put a bow on this forget Steph Curry. Cause I think we're both a little bit irrational about Steph Curry. Like I think, <laughs> I think that if somebody, if like, if somebody came over and was like, I think Steph Curry could be the greatest player of all time. Me and you would be like, yeah, like, yeah, we're with yeah, you. Like, we, possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're open to that. Um, yeah. Do you at least agree that from a teammate elevation standpoint, Chris Paul is doing things that Jordan Poole was not doing <laughs> yes, yes. Like, okay. I, we agree on that yeah absolutely okay. yeah yeah and, but but i'm gonna i'm gonna try to play the not play devil's advocate but i'm gonna try to like you know because you were talking about it sure. jordan pool provided more gravity than chris paul does uh ye- yes so does that not three point gravity? I don't know. I'm trying to think of overall gravity, like three point shooting gravity. Yes. Uh, overall gravity. I'm not positive. Um, yes. So yeah. it's more new. It's more nuanced than who's the better shooter. Yeah. Who's I the better shooter. Yeah. No, I, right. I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's more nuanced than who's the better shooter. It's, but yeah, obviously you know, like you know what's interesting about, you know, what's interesting about this is yeah. we had this whole conversation and I'm, I'm glad we had it this way. But we didn't touch on the Dame versus Drew part of this. So yeah, no, we just like so completely the... went over to the. Yeah, that's a that's a whole nother side of the conversation because I just think that Dame is 
an underrated offensive machine at this point. Um, and I think that, you know, in his healthy, his last like three healthy seasons, um, he's, his offensive impact has been comparable to like some of the greats in the history of the game in terms of just pure offensive impact. And um, it, even arguably he had a better offensive impact than Jokic last season, um, which, you know, I, I don't think he did, but I, it's not, it's not out of the question. It's just not out of the question though. Like, it's not like, it's out of the question to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Because I, I, I don't think he did, but like the data and the overwhelming, like, the, the the overwhelming plurality of the data would suggest that that that's totally within the realm of possibility. So I just think he's underrated as an offensive machine at this point. And so to me, when you, I mean, we haven't seen it yet, you know, again, to my point from earlier, we're two weeks into the NBA season. Um, so we haven't seen it yet, but at the end of the season, I think that this wouldn't, won't be a conversation in terms of, um, the bigger upgrade unless you know chris paul has like an uh you know one of his i, I mean he's he i wouldn't put it past him but I, I i would still be a little surprised if he were able to maintain what he's been doing over the course of the the rest of the 82 it does raise like an interesting question though because like if jordan Poole was like a negative two last year and chris paul is a six this year and Drew Holiday was a seven last year, but Dame goes to a nine. Yeah, which mat which matters more, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. Um, I do think that's an interesting aspect of this for sure. I Can understood we, the uh, nature of your question, like the disparity. I, I I totally got that, but I just think yeah. that Dame is so much better offensively than Drew is, and I think I'm a little higher on Pool. I don't love Pool or anything like that, but I, I, I by the the sounds of this conversation, I'm a little higher on Pool than you are. Yes. Um, fun with small sample sizes again. Do you know how bad the Damian Lillard minutes have been so far? Do you have any idea? I have not looked into it. No. So first to add some context to them, the Bucks are winning Giannis's minutes. Like he the barely, but despite their slow start, they're winning Giannis's minutes. Mm -hmm. With Damian Lillard on the court, the Bucks are minus 12 per hundred. And with him off the court, they are plus 22 per hundred. So plus 22 are, with him off. Yeah, so they're 34 points worse when Dame plays than when he sits. I would imagine that will get better, but it has not been a pretty start in Milwaukee. So, okay, I, I want to close out because we're, we're we're nearing the end, but I do want to ask you this question because <laughs> and I'm afraid it's going to open up a can of worms and the pod will be an hour longer. Um so do you think Steph Curry is having a bad season so far? No, of course not. Even though they're losing his minutes. Yeah. By small, it's a small sample size. And like, dude, the Knicks, oh God, I always, people are going to hate how much I talk about quickly. The Knicks had quickly had the worst disparity on the team going into the, today. Mm. And if he did that for a whole season, I'd be like, whoa, uh, he was not super impactful for this season. But um, my point is, is that he was plus 22 tonight and absolutely crushed in his minutes. And the Knicks somehow in a game they won by 14 lost the 28 minutes he didn't play. 
he's going to have like a positive net rating after <laughs> the net rating differential after today. So yeah. even though these, even though these per hundred possessions are like gaudy and I'm having fun with them, like yeah. Damian Lillard is like a couple good games away from this all changing. Okay. Yeah. And okay. so is Steph Curry. All right, we're so on the same page the, then. The samples are so small. I just think that judging these eight games, excuse me. I just think that the lessons we can take from these eight games are reasonable enough to me, at least in, in terms of what Chris Paul's done and how good he is as a passer, how good he is as a role player elevator. I think it's reasonable for me to extrapolate his impact over the totality of the season. I do not think it's reasonable to extrapolate a Steph Curry negative eight per hundred net differential and be like, Oh, that's what it's going to be for the season. He's just a bad player now. No, I do not think that's reasonable. Okay, yeah, that's fair. We're on the same page then. Um, yeah, this small sample size, folks. Uh, you know, things are things are going to change. Uh, you know, from a two week span uh, in the season. But I, I agree with you. At the same time, there's a lot that we can pull from it and learn from it. And we talked about some of that stuff for the Knicks. We've talked about some of that stuff for the upcoming games. Uh, just to kind of close out the conversation, what do you kind of think they're going to do this week over those three games? Spurs, Hornets, Celtics. How do you see them finishing that yeah, out? Yeah, I mean. Two, two and one is just an easy prediction, in my opinion. I think it's the betting favorite. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see how you. I mean, I could see them going three and They won both game and the games in Boston last season. Um, I'm not going to say that's impossible. I think the Knicks are like a weirdly tough matchup for Boston. I think quickly loves playing in Boston, like <laughs> as we know from last season. Yeah. Um, not that, not that he'll get to play very much by the by the looks of things right now. Um, Sunday, so Sunday like, against yeah. the Hornets, uh, noon. Um, any concern no, there? No, it's it's Friday, isn't it? Uh, no, against the uh, oh, wait, no, against the Hornets. The Hornets game is I have their schedule, is, isn't it? Isn't it Friday? Isn't it Wednesday night against the Spurs? Friday against the Hornets? This is, not our... this, is, this is live. <laughs> That's okay. I, I think not, I'm right. It's not there. live at all. Um, so I see, I see. No, you're right. I'm wrong. What the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> you said you um, had the schedule up. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I could have sworn I saw Friday. I, but then I apparently closed it. You also um, swore you it? didn't say Victor Wemba the Yama man. I'm so very excited knows? to hear. I'm very excited to hear Wemby the Yama man in 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 like genuine, like me being genuine. Because I'm, I would be shocked if I actually said that, but. I hope I can. I, I'm literally only going to call him that going forward. So <laughs> if I actually did say that, um, um, <laughs> yeah, right, I think well, two and one. Uh, yeah. I, to your point, though, yeah, I do think the Knicks are now more likely to lose the Hornets game than before. Like slightly. Like I, I think they're favorites and they're probably going to win. But I do mm-hmm. think if they were going to lose the Hornets game, it would be a Sunday matinee game, like coming exactly. off of Saturday night, because yeah. they have a pretty they have a pretty poor history there. Um, yep, I still think I still think they'll win, and I think two and one is just reasonable because now they're flying to Boston on the second half of back to back. I don't yeah, see Boston. any way they win that Boston game. Um, second half I of the back to back after come afternoon come on, game, dude. like. I mean, you know what? I, when I say I don't see any way, I don't mean there's a zero percent chance. I mean, like I, I, you know, from a Bayesian perspective, I think the probability is extremely low that they win that game. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I, yeah, I got it two and one. It would be very disappointing if they lost the Hornets game. 
Um, I don't think they're, they're going to lose the Spurs game. So, yeah, I think two and one is 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 probably where most people are at. Um, Do you agree in- that losing the Spurs game would be less disappointing than losing the Hornets game or which would which game would disappoint you more? The Spurs like game would be less would be more disappointing to me than losing the Hornets game unless Wemby just did something incredible. Um, barring that, I, I think they should they should roll over the Spurs. Um, I really do. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I was just thinking like national TV game. I mean, for you kids out there, if you know, if anyone listening to this is 18, 24 years old, get ready because these like stars play their first game in New York games are their, their shows, you know, LeBron, Kobe, all these guys there for their first they made MSG like a spectacle and I expect Wemby to want to do the same. So yeah. I'm a little bit less confident than XJ is if I'm being honest. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's fair. It's a fair point, but I don't see it happening. I think, I think they will be all right. I think, I think they can even survive a, a big Wemby game as long as it's not like what he did against Phoenix. Um, so yeah, uh, I think we're at the end here. Yeah, this was a really good conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed the, the, the tangential lines of thinking from uh, <laughs> uh, the stream of consciousness from both Jeff and I. Um, we enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, hopefully you like Hot Hand Theory. You follow us. You subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Um, give us a like, a review. All that stuff is super helpful as we're trying to build up the podcast and, and grow a little bit here on the in our first season. So yeah, appreciate you listening. And if you got to this far, um, yeah, just hope you enjoyed the conversation.